So far, we've been looking at the idea of looking beyond, and we started with looking to Jesus, then we were looking to the unseen, and we looked at that last week. I wonder what was your favourite fairy tale as a child? I don't know, maybe you got different answers. If you remember that long ago, you remember fairy tales. Did you like fairy tales? You like those um, story times when you're a little, little boy or a little girl? And I wonder if you can remember how most fairy tales tend to finish. And they all lived happily ever after. Yeah, and most of you are muted, but one of you isn't. And there you go. We got the right answer. They all lived happily ever after. I don't think many people living in the world today actually really believe in a happily ever after for themselves in their life. The world really doesn't point to that becoming a reality, does it? Oh, we're all going to live happily ever after. Yet fairy tales continue to be popular with young children and it's as if there's something instilled in them as human beings, as young people, that they just dream of that happily ever after ending to their story, to their life and they all lived happily ever after. Well, the Bible says that um, God has placed eternity in the hearts of people and children are people. And he also says, the Lord also says in his word that we are to receive the kingdom of God like little children. And I just wonder if there's something innate, something we're born with that craves that happily ever after ending. And we just don't see it in this world very often. We don't see the happily ever after. But I think those kids who still dream of it and perhaps role play and, you know, kids playing in the playground and role playing together um, dream of. I, I wonder if they're onto something. I wonder if they're actually just expressing in childlike naive, naivety something that God has placed in all of us, something where we actually do all long for because God has a plan for us and he wants us to live happily ever after. But it is after. Um, right now on earth, Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but fear not, I have overcome the world. You can live happily ever after but it might not quite be as the fairy tales depict. So tonight we're looking at Romans 8. Romans chapter 8 and a few verses in there starting at verse 18. Romans 8 and verse 18. And it's written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, just pause our phone over there. Uh, and Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager anticipation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that... The creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So quite a mouthful some of that, but if we just go back to the first part of it in verse 18. Yes, there are present sufferings. Anyone who tells you that Christians don't suffer is either lying to you or they're deluded. 
Um, there's a lot of groaning in this passage as well. <laughs> uh, I didn't read the rest of the chapter, but if you were to read on, you'd find there were groanings going on from every direction. It says in verse 22 that all creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. That's creation itself groaning. That's nature, the world around us, the natural world is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And then in verse 23, we groan, it says, we groan as we wait for our bodies to be redeemed. We're waiting for this happily ever after. And then in verse 26, the spirit groans, which is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, the Holy Spirit groans wordlessly, you know, with unutterable non-words. The Spirit groans as he, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for us in, in our suffering and what we're going through. What an incredible idea. But that word, I don't know if it's the same word in Greek. I haven't looked at that. But in English, we've got the same word three times, groaning. And once for creation, once for us and once for the, the Holy Spirit. So right now we're in a season of of groaning. Um, not very pretty, not a pretty message, but it's it's reality, isn't it? If we think about the world that we live in today in our own lives, there's some groaning to do at times. Oh, and that you can see that, that creation, we just look at natural disasters and, and things that are going on in the world and we can see the idea of creation groaning. But all this suffering and groaning is put in context here in this little snippet that I've read already, um, verses 18 onwards, um, because it's part of an instruction to God's people in the groaning to look beyond the suffering, to look beyond, because it's groaning in anticipation, in eager anticipation. Look in verse 18. Paul says in verse 18 that compared to the future glory we will experience as sons and daughters of God, in comparison with that, the present suffering is as good as nothing. That's how glorious our future is. It's almost like the suffering we go through now, it doesn't even figure on the scale. It doesn't even measure. Um, they don't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. And that's incredible. I think that the worse your suffering is, the more that makes the glory better, if that makes sense. Because if you're going through the worst kind of suffering and that won't even figure on the scale compared with the glory that will be revealed in you. Oh, how glorious heaven must be. How amazing the future must be for sons and daughters of God. And this is what we're doing in this series is we're looking beyond our circumstances fixing our eyes on Jesus in the present, thinking about unseen things in the present and also looking beyond today um, into the future of the, the glory, even as creation groans. And we see that in verse 19. It's waiting in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. There is groaning, but there's also eager expectation, eager anticipation. So it's groaning in context of hope. It's, I mean, how awful it must feel to have something to groan about with no hope, no light at the end of the tunnel. 
how awful it must be for people who who don't have any hope at all in in the in faced with disaster and they don't have they don't have a heavenly hope to hold on to they don't have jesus to hold on to how awful and depressing um and, and devastating that is but this groaning for christians is there is a light at the end of the tunnel a great bright light and there is joy set before us like jesus had the joy set before him through his time in gethsemane and through his time on the cross there was joy set before him and it's the same for us we have joy set before us and that helps us to carry the cross that god has given us to bear but let's focus on this idea at the moment that creation creation nature is both groaning and eagerly waiting back in genesis chapter 3 after god creates this perfect beautiful world a world without sin a world without failure a world without destruction or decay a world without natural disasters a world without hatred spite evil a beautiful perfect world that could have flourished and human life could have carried on and done incredible things in genesis 3 after mankind sins god sub subjects this is the, the the phrase used in our passage today in romans 8 subjects creation to frustration and that word frustration suggests a sense of emptiness and a lack of purpose we see it there in in verse 20 of romans chapter 8 it's a result of Adam's sin. And we now live in this intermediary stage in between Adam and in between the second coming of Christ. We, we, we don't live in the age of, of Adam and his sinfulness and, and what, um, what the sinfulness has caused on its own because Christ has come. So we live since the resurrection of Christ. So this is overlap. It's kind of that now, not yet tension we've talked about before, where we've got the now of Christ's redemption on our lives, but the not yet, because he hasn't come back to redeem the earth in its fullness. We're still in the world. We're still in the world that is fallen, but we have that renewed spirit. We are a new creation, but the world is not. So there's that kind of overlapping period. And all creation waits. You know, we... we live in such a beautiful area and we'll often be walking out on the coast path or um, anywhere in, in in nature around here in South Devon and we will bump into people who don't know Jesus, don't know anything about God, don't care about God but they're taking photographs, they're looking at that beautiful creation because it is incredible, it is stunning. Just the sea and all that is in it and the sky and the trees and the cliffs and the rugged coastline and the animals that you can see. It's incredible. But the, most people don't realise that that is creation in an imperfect state. It's groaning, it's waiting. Now, I don't want to over-personify creation, you know, creation waiting. It's kind of a personification, isn't it? It's making it like a, like a human being. But, um, but that's what the Bible's saying. It's awaiting something even better. It's waiting for the children of God to be revealed. That's what it says in this passage. It's waiting for you and me, children of God, to be 
revealed. That's us. Creation is waiting for the bride of Christ. That's what the church is referred to in the in the book of Revelation. The bride of Christ, like Jesus is the bridegroom and the whole church is the bride. It's a, a metaphor of this beautiful uh, wedding day because weddings are kind of like the most special festival you could imagine um, in God's eyes. And in, and in Jewish culture, weddings are just an incredible thing. So what better analogy to describe the second coming of Christ as this groom coming and the bride meeting and the spotless bride. And all creation is waiting for this spotless bride to be revealed to, you know, like, like at a wedding, you're waiting for the bride to arrive. When Jesus comes back, the rest of the world, when Jesus comes back, the rest of the world is going to see that and the light's going to be switched on. People are going to get it. And I think that's part of what this revelation is of us. You know, in a way, we're already revealed to our neighbours. If your neighbours know you're a Christian and they've seen something different about you, there's a glimmer of that revelation of the sons and daughters of God being revealed. But when Christ returns, they'll totally get who we are as a church. It'll all make sense. And for some people, that'll be a devastating truth that the, 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 these Christians had... <laughs> You know, they're the bride of Christ. The rest of the world will finally make sense of our identity in him. We will be presented as a spotless bride at a wedding to the Prince of Peace. And he will make a new heaven and a new earth. Creation itself will be liberated. This is all in verse 21, actually. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of us, of the children of God. We're the glorious ones and creation has to catch up. Jesus comes back, there's an incredible um, revelation of who we are and creation catches up with who we are. And it's just amazing. We messy old us in our outwardly wasting bodies as we looked at last week. We get to be to play a central part in that picture. One commentator I read this afternoon talks, and it just seems wrong to say it this way, but this is what it said, was at the wedding, the bride is the one the focus is on. Well, at the second coming of Christ, Jesus is the one the focus is on. But there's still this emphasis that Jesus loves you so much that his focus is on you. He adores us, his church. He sees us as amazing he loves us so much come on he loved you enough to die for you so the focus is kind of on the bride it's on the church his glory is revealed in us and then he makes this new heaven and this new earth and this is what we're looking beyond to this is what we're looking at which is what we're to remember when we're told to fix our eyes on things above not on earthly things to remember that he is the author and perfecter that we are to run a race, but the race does have a finish line and there will be a crown at the end of it. Let me read you a few more scriptures before we pray together. 2 Peter 3. In 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So new heaven, new earth, 
but first of all some destruction to make way for it. Verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And I dare say, look beyond your current circumstances to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So God restores, going back to Genesis chapters 1, 2 and 3, God restores things and righteousness dwells. Hallelujah. And I believe Joel was looking forward to that day when he wrote, the prophet Joel, in chapter 3, verse 18, in that day the mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk. All the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of acacias. And of course, in Revelation 21, and this is the last thing I'm going to read before we pray together. Revelation 21, beautiful picture of what we, the children of God, are looking forward to. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen to this. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying. Remember all that groaning in Romans 8. Right now we're groaning and last week we were wasting away, although inwardly we're renewed day by day. All the groaning of creation. None of that anymore, ever again. No more mourning. No, and with a you, mourning as in grieving. No more crying. No more pain. Praise the Lord. If we're in pain this evening, we can remember that as we look beyond, yes, God may want to heal us in this life, in our temporary bodies that we have, but there will one day be a time of no pain at all, for the old order of things has passed away. Carrying on in verse 5 um, of Revelation 21. He who was seated on the, on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So I hope with me you believe these trustworthy and true words, that as we look beyond our current era, one day, the new heaven, new earth will be glorious, far more glorious, so much more glorious that any suffering in this snapshot of a life that we have down here on earth will just fade into insignificance. So we look beyond our present suffering. We look beyond the state of the world. We fix our eyes on Jesus 
and on the things unseen, and we look beyond this age to the next one, where we will live with him literally, happily, ever after. Praise God.